All right, the passage we'll be studying this evening is Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. Just the three verses. Let's begin by reading Hosea chapter 2, verse 2. Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband, and let her put away her harlotry from her face, and her adultery from between her breasts. Or I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like a desert land, and slay her with thirst. Also, I will have no compassion on her children, because they are children of harlotry. We've now come to Hosea 2, 2. And um, from last time, we remember verses 10, 11, and even um, two one, it, we were speaking to the elect. We were speaking of um, the sons of Israel who have been numbered, the true Israel, the godly Israel. And now in our passage, we have turned back to God's rebuke or God's indictment against those that are wicked, those um, that are still in their sin. And this is a pattern in Scripture we see many places going back and forth from addressing the wicked to the redeemed to the wicked and back and forth. And so now we've arrived at a section of the Scriptures that are speaking to those who are unredeemed. And um, this will continue uh, after our our verses today, after 2 and 4 in the Next few messages, we'll see this continue this pattern um, of speaking to the wicked. So now, in verse two, we pre- in the previous verses we had studied more of the the harlot and the offspring, naming the offspring, and that was the focus. But now God turns the focus to the children. Uh, of this harlot. We see this contend with your mother. So now he's speaking to the children. So we, we understand that the the mother in this case, which is the harlot mentioned in the previous um, chapter, is Israel and Israel that was taken by God out of the land of Egypt. And now the children of this harlot is the current generation of Hosea, the one he's preaching to now. So we have in view the people that were brought out of the land of Egypt in Israel, that is the mother, and the children are the ones, this generation that Hosea is speaking to here. So with that in mind, let's start with verse 2. And we'll start with this first phrase. Contend with your mother, contend. So God is commanding this offspring, this current generation in Israel to contend with their mother, to go against their mother, because this mother is a wicked mother. This is the harlot that was previously mentioned. So in this, in this way, we know that as our own in our own lives that we must go against regardless of if it's our mother or um, someone of authority, someone that's in power over us traditionally. But if their ways are unrighteous and their ways are ungodly, 
that we should contend with them. We should push those things away because ultimately we need to focus on the Holy Scripture and what God tells us to do. So for some evidence of how this mother was a harlot, we'll turn to Joshua chapter 24 verse 14 that these um, the mother, the, the people of Israel who were brought out of the land of Egypt in miraculous ways, in Joshua 24 verse 14, we get a glimpse of what they were still holding on to and how they were harlots even after seeing the miraculous deeds of God. This is Joshua 24, 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. This is an example that Joshua is saying is to put away the gods. So the gods are still with them at this time. And he's calling on them to repent from this idolatry that their fathers have handed down to them. This is the same that Hosea is saying about this very generation, this harlot of a mother who was spiritually unfaithful to God despite all the blessings that he had shown them. And he's, he's imploring the people that you have to turn away. You need to contend with this mother because her ways are evil. And this is the expectation throughout all of history that we can't let the influence of our mother or those older than us to influence us in a sinful way. We'll turn to Matthew 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to 39. Matthew chapter 10, 34 to 39. On the relationship between family, if that family member is ungodly. Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. So here, God is explaining, you cannot follow after your mother, you have to follow after God. And if you are worried about the relationship between your mother and yourself over God. You must love God more. And this is the same message that Hosea has here. Even though your mother, your grandmother, however many generations we go back, if their ways are not godly, we must contend with them and follow after God. So continuing in Hosea um, chapter 2, verse 2, we'll move to our next phrase that he mentions here. The next phrase, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. So we know 
that in this example, in this type, in this illustration, that God did in fact tell Hosea to marry the harlot and that God is in a type and as an example married Israel. But here he is saying that she is not my wife. So God is sending Israel away. He is divorcing Israel from this spiritual marriage because of her harlotry. We know God would not um, do anything that is sinful, anything wrong. It is Israel that has broken this covenant with their harlotry and their adultery. To further explain how Israel was a harlot and how God is divorcing her, we'll turn to the book of Jeremiah. We'll start in Jeremiah chapter 3. Again, looking at the special way in which God delivered Israel and chose Israel, but also in how they rebelled and the consequences for their rebellion. This is Jeremiah 3, verses 6 to 10. Jeremiah 3, 6. Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought, after she has done all these things, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Yet in spite of all his Excuse me. Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception, declares the Lord. So here, this is also um, explaining that we're not talking necessarily about physical harlotry, although I'm sure much of that was done in Israel but we're, we're talking about spiritual things because we're talking about a spiritual um, example between Israel and the people of God. We see that in verse 6. It says, She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. So it wasn't as if they were committing harlotry on the hill or on the tree, but they were worshiping the, the uh, created and not the creator. And further in verse 9, it says that they committed adultery with stones and trees. Again, not that they were literally committing adultery, but it's a spiritual adultery, a spiritual harlotry with the created thing. And this is why God is sending them, sending Israel away and would send any one of us away for committing this type of harlotry. That's why it says in verse 8, I saw that for all the adulteries of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. We have another example in Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 
verse 31 to 32, explaining again how God had chose the people of Israel to be his um, wife. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 32. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, to them declares the Lord. So here we have further explanation in verse 32 that the type that God is explaining here is that when he took them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, that was the covenant. Just as we make marriage covenants, this was the covenant, the promise that he made and that he was a husband. So he uses that language that he was a husband to them. He was a faithful husband, a caring husband, a loving husband. But it's because of their adultery that he sent them away. And to further explain this, we'll turn to Matthew 19, 3 to 9. And Matthew 19, this is speaking of the earthly marriage between a man and a woman. But again, God uses it and makes the point that there should be no... Divorce, because with if it were a sinless marriage, there would be no need. Because the only reason for a divorce is adultery. We'll read Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 to 9. Matthew 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing Him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So this is the the exception of the covenant. That if the wife or the man divorces his wife and she has not committed immorality, then it is unlawful. But in this case, the, the wife, if she does commit immorality, it is lawful because she has broken the covenant. And that is what Israel has done here as well. So we understand that in this spiritual type and in this physical example... That it is the one who is sinning and the one who has committed adultery that is breaking the covenant. And that is why God divorced the nation of Israel for their spiritual harlotry. So we'll turn back to Hosea chapter 2 and continue 
in verse 2 with the final phrase. So we've seen that is, uh, he is calling on Israel to contend with their mother and explaining that he has divorced the people of Israel. But in this final phrase, he says, And let her put away her harlotry from her face and her adultery from between her breasts. So God is calling on the usual way, the way we know that harlots try and seduce the, the foolish and naive man to commit harlotry and adultery is to adorn their faces with much makeup and to dress themselves in lewd ways to draw attention to their bodies to try and seduce the man. But what he's, ta- what he's explaining here and calling on the people to do, or Israel to do, is to put away her harlotry and for, to put away the adultery from between her breasts. He's calling on them to repent, to change their ways, and to follow after him, to stop with these um, harlotry and adulterous behaviors with idols and other gods. Uh, this, is, this is the gospel. This is what we have here. We have a call to repent. Repent and change your ways. And we know that this is the call. That, I mean, this is the gospel. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we see that if we join ourselves to the world and we, we join ourselves to these idolatrous things in the world, that this is the harlotry. This is what we need to repent of. That's what Israel did. They were worshiping the rocks and the trees and whatever idols that were in the world, the, the gods of, that they, their fathers worshiped in Egypt. That these things are in the world and these, is, these are the harlotries that we must put away. And for before our conversion, this is the harlotry that we were committing. We were ones who worshipped the idols of the world. We were ones who worshipped the idols of our parents. But we must repent and follow after the things of God. This is further explained in James chapter 4. That though we're, though we're studying the examples of... Israel, and that they um, they themselves it's explained are worshiping rocks, but let us not dismiss that though we don't have a physical idol before us when we worship, that when we worship something that is not of God, that we are committing idolatry, which is harlotry and adultery. This is James chapter 4, verse 4. James 4, 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James begins his address with this point, you adulteresses. He understands that the spiritual harlotry is the focus of, of the scriptures that this is anything in the world friendship with the world is hostility toward God there's the world and there's 
God. There's the world, there's the heavenly things. There is no middle ground, it's binary. And that if we are on the other side of that line, if we're on the other side, um, apart from God, we are His enemy. We are either friends with God or friends with the world. This is also um, explained in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verses 1 to 4. Second Corinthians 11:1. 1. I wish that we, you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit, which you have not received, or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. So here... In verse 2, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. So this jealousy of one that one has between husband and wife. This jealousy of being betrothed. It says, for I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure version. So here is the type of marriage again that we must be simply and purely devoted to Christ, as it says in verse 3. That this is the goal. But if someone preaches another Jesus, or if someone preaches a different gospel, that is the opposite of what he's saying in verse 2 and 3. That is harlotry. That is idolatry. That is following after a false god. This is what the apostles understand from the Old Testament and from the teachings of Christ. And this is what God himself is explaining to not join ourselves with the world, to not join ourselves with the gods that we used to worship or that our mothers used to worship. But that is harlotry and that we can repent. And we have examples in scripture of People who have repented, obviously, um, from spiritual harlotry. But there's even examples of physical harlotry, physical adultery, adultery that have been repented of. Reflects in their spiritual life. We have Rahab the harlot. He, she was the harlot, but she has been redeemed. She has been converted. This is... Also seen in the woman of Samaria in John 4. We'll turn to John 4 verse 16. So though the adultery has taken place, though the harlotry has taken place from the people, again, this is, he's calling on them to put away, to put it away, to put the face of harlotry away, 
to put away their breasts of harlotry. This is John 4, verse 16 to 18. He said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So Christ brings to the surface this sexual immorality that the woman of Samaria is committing. And as the passage goes on, we learn that she is repentant. But the the idea is, though the harlotry in this fornication and these things here in a physical example we bring the physical example to light to show that it is possible it's repentance for forgiveness of sins again that's the focus here and that's the focus throughout the scriptures we'll finally turn to act 17 to speak generally on this topic we looked at Examples of those who had repented of physical harlotry and adultery. But generally speaking, Acts 17.30 describes what we're reading here in Hosea. Acts 17 verse 30. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. This is the call, the call to put away the, the harlotry of our past. But with the call for repentance, it must be coupled with the consequences of disobedience. It must be explained that if there is no repentance, then there is judgment, there's condemnation. We'll return To Hosea verse 3. So in Hosea chapter 2 verse 3. So he's explained the evidence for their sin. He's called on them to repent. In verse 3, he begins the passage with or. So if this repentance does not take place, this is what will happen. Hosea chapter 2 verse 3. Or I will strip her naked and expose her as on the day when she was born. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like desert land, and slay her with thirst. So first we'll note, as we explain, this is the judgment that will come if one does not repent. But... In verse 3, at the beginning of verse 3, it says, Or I will strip her naked. God is speaking here and He is taking personal responsibility for handing down this judgment. Though it may come through the means of another nation or Him raising up um, an ungodly nation who have no idea what they're doing, but God is sovereign and He is taking responsibility for this judgment. For them to not think that Perhaps the idols of the foreign land were stronger than their God. But it is God who is ordaining us and telling them, this is what will happen if you do not repent. And this is um, 
this nakedness opening the shame of the people for as a punishment for their sin. We see this um, in Ezekiel chapter 16. We'll study this example, which goes into detail as to why God would punish them this way and the purpose of it to shame them because of their sin. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 35 to 43. Ezekiel 16, 35. Therefore, therefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lewdness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered through your harlotries with your lovers and with all your detestable idols, And because of the blood of your sons, which you gave to idols. Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, even all those whom you loved and all those whom you hated. So I will gather them against you from every direction and expose your nakedness to them, that they may see all your nakedness. Thus, I will judge you like women who commit adultery or shed blood are judged. And I will bring on you the blood of wrath and jealousy. I will also give you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take your jewels, and will leave you naked and bare. They will incite a crowd against you, and they will stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. They will burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. Then I will stop you from playing the harlot, and you will also no longer pay your lovers. So I will calm my fury against you, and my jealousy will depart from you, and I will be pacified and angry no more. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me by all these things, behold, I in turn will bring your conduct down on your head, on your own head, declares the Lord God, so that you will not commit this lewdness, on top of all your other abominations. At the beginning of this passage in verse 35, he calls them, O harlot. Again, using the same language we have here in Hosea. The harlot, because they are spiritually committing this adultery. It says in verse 36, that Uncovered through your harlotries with your lovers and with all your detestable idols. So this is the harlotry and idolatry put together again. And the punishment for this, because they were committing this harlotry, being lewd with these idols. God is saying again, he is taking responsibility. Verse 39 I will also give you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places. Again, these are all idol-worshiping things. Strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels, and will leave you naked and bare. This is to their shame to be naked and bare, to be led away into exile naked, to be left with nothing because of the idolatry that they have committed. And we know... That sin brings this shame about. That's why Adam and Eve 
sewed fig leaves together to cover their shame because they had sinned. Because they were laid bare, their sin was exposed. This is also true in the life to come. This is a type, as all these examples of judgment are, they're a type of the judgment to come and should help us explain and be fearful of what will happen to us um, if we don't repent. So to further study how this shame in exposing our um, deeds to everything will be laid bare. And if we are shameful of what we have done and shameful of our nakedness, um, it will be brought to light. We'll first turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, in piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So just as the punishment of being laid bare would bring shame on the harlot tree that the people have committed, everything will be laid bare. God knows everything. He, he is God. He's omniscient. And He knows everything in the heart. He understands and can... Um, divide the division of soul and spirit. We as human, as man, cannot even comprehend that level of understanding, that level of knowing everything in our lives. But here it is, God is explaining it to us that everything will be laid bare. We can't hide anything from God. We can't hide our sin from Him. And another example will be in Luke 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. We'll read verses 1 to 3. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, that they were stepping on one another. He began saying to his disciples, first of all, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. So the warning is that, again, God... You cannot hide anything from him. He will, he will reveal everything. And he knows everything. So as a type and to show this example, this is what he's explaining to the people. That he will take their shame and he will parade it around because he knows what, has, what they have done. And this is our warning as a Christian, one who has been redeemed. We understand that... We cannot hide anything from God. That these, 
things will be exposed. Returning, returning to Hosea. Hosea chapter 2, verse 3. We'll um, further study this next phrase. I will also make her like a wilderness, make her like a desert land. So God, in addition to exposing the deeds, another portion of the judgment would be the destruction, the desolation of one's land, the desolation of what they would hold as their pride, and it, it becomes worthless. In the end, whatever their deeds are, whatever um, they've done to labor, it will be worthless. God will destroy it. Uh, to further examine that point, we'll turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. So the example that we're studying in Hosea of the desert and the desolation is explained in verse 8. That it yields thorns and thistles and that it just ends up being burned. That in the end it will be burned with fire. And this desolation of the land, the desolation of the land of Israel that we're studying here to make her like a desert is again a type of this coming judgment. We should never look at any judgment that the people in the Old Testament faced as uh, theory or a hypothetical or just mere uh, story, but they're types, types of the judgment to come. And finally, in Hosea, in, cha- in uh, verse 3, mentions, and slay her with thirst. So the, the punishment is to slay her with thirst. So again, to look at the eternal implication uh, or type that that judgment would um, be an example of. We'll turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, verses 23 and 24.
we're studying, and this is the passage of the rich man and Lazarus. 1623. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. The rich man, all he wants is just a dip of water because he, he, has, he is in agony in this flame. He is so thirsty, he is being tormented. Just as, again, our type here, that the destruction of the land of Israel to make these people thirsty is a type of the judgment to come. And we have uh, this example here of the rich man begging for just a drop of water, but it cannot be given to him. He must remain in torment. Returning to Hosea, Hosea chapter 2 verse 4. The, um, the judgment continues. He says also, Also, I will have no compassion on her children because they are children of harlotry. So though God, he begins the passage or this section of judgment with contending with your mother to contend. He's calling on the children to rebel against the evil deeds of their mother. But in verse 4, he says, I will have no compassion on her children. Because the children are also responsible for these sins. Just because the mother sin does not mean that they get a free pass to commit the same sin. That if the children persist in their mother's ways, they are guilty. So every, everyone is responsible for their own soul and that they will be put to death for their own sin. And this is explained in Ezekiel 18. It's further explained um, in, in greater detail. Is Ezekiel 18, we'll read verses 1 to 13. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 to 13. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins will die. But if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period, if a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing, if he does not lend money, 
on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord God. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and who does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things. That is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, commits robbery, does not restore a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and commits abomination. He lends money on interest and takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations. He will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. So here in Ezekiel 18, we have the opposite example. We have the righteous parent and the unrighteous son. And in our example in Hosea, we have the unrighteous mother and the hopefully righteous offspring if they do repent. But the the point being that regardless of the deeds of either, every man is responsible for their own sin. It's common for people to put blame on their parents, to put blame on their upbringing, to put blame on their situation for their sin, whether it be cultural um, influences, whatever the case may be. But that's not an excuse for God. That's not an excuse for your sin because every man must be given account for their own deeds. And this is seen throughout Scripture. But we must use the Bible as the absolute guide. That's the, the importance of reading the Bible and knowing the Bible because we may have been taught something, we have, may have been shown something, but it could be sin. We can't, we can't um, use that as an excuse. Um, and this has been throughout history a problem, especially for the sons of Israel, which who Hosea has in mind here. That those learning from their forefathers these idolatrous ways. We'll turn to Acts 7 to further show that. That this is a common sin for the people of Israel. This is a common sin we know from our own experiences. That men throughout all generations want to put blame on someone else. Or to use what they've been taught as an excuse. But our minds must be renewed by the Holy Scriptures. In Acts 7, we'll start at verse 51 and we'll read 51 to 53. This is Stephen's last words. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So Stephen's accusation, which is true, that they're doing exactly what their fathers did, that their fathers persecuted the prophets, that their fathers killed the holy and righteous ones. Or the ones that announce the coming of the righteous one. That this is um, the sin that they have committed. They think they're righteous. They think what they have been taught is good and right. They think following in the 
steps of their father is what is righteous, but it's not. It's receiving the law as ordained by angels and keeping it. That's what God wants. That is what is required of mankind to do by the Holy Spirit. Because it says in verse 51, they're resisting the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit um, elicits a conformity to God. But again, we know this in our own days, that the that man wants to use these excuses and we know that if the Christ of the Bible was set before them too, this the same thing would be said of them. That they put to get to death the prophets, they put to death the the prophets, they put to death the Christ, and they would put him to death again today um, if they were confronted like this. So we reflect on our passage in Hosea. Even in this, what to most people would be an obscure passage, we see the gospel. We see it summed up. It's all throughout the scriptures. And we read many New Testament references that, that speak of the same topics here. That we must be renewed. We can't think of our past sins, our past idolatries, our past um, uh, lies that we used to believe as something that we can still hold on to, but we must contend with them and we must put them away because it is harlotry. We, are, we were harlots before God. We were adulterers before God prior to our conversion. And we must remember that and think of our deeds that way. And this is, um, again, the gospel preached to repent of this sin to repent of these things, or there will be judgment. We believe in repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, the New Testament, throughout all time, that this is the gospel. And this is, it's either repentance or condemnation. It's heaven or hell. It's God or Satan. The Bible speaks this way. It speaks in black and white terms for a reason because that's reality that's truth that's what the um that's what the scriptures teach and praise the lord that we have been released from these harlotries that we no longer have a faithless husband we no longer have one that abuses us we no longer have a husband who hates us but we have one who loves us and whose burden is light praise the lord Amen.